0: speak and to understand English and they come and they haven't a clue what we are saying here in Northern Ireland. And even though they may be qualified, uh, you may be qualified to speak English in your lectures and in your conversations with fellow students, local students, you can find it very difficult to understand it. And a more difficult one though to cope with is being lonely. If you come from a family, you've come maybe from a secondary school where you knew everyone in your class, uh, you knew people that you met with, you always had a group of friends that you could spend time with, uh, and yet when you come here to Northern Ireland, you don't know anybody, uh, you're very far away. Yes, you can communicate perhaps on the internet back home, but a feeling of loneliness, being isolated, is... Is one that's very hard to cope with. And lastly, feeling insignificant. I know some of you from China have been brought up in one-child families, where you've been the only child in your family, you've been the focus of attention, you're regarded as very significant. When you're at school, your teacher uh, knows you, you feel that you have a certain significance and importance in life, and you come here to Northern Ireland everybody thinks that people from overseas all look the same. We can't remember your names. We get you all mixed up. Uh, You're maybe in large lecture classes and nobody seems to know you. And you begin to feel that you're no longer a significant human being. You're just one in a million and you begin to wonder, is my life really significant? So Uh, those of us from Northern Ireland have gradually been coming to understand the shock that you go through when you come to a place like Northern Ireland. But that shock is similar in some ways to what students from Northern Ireland, from our own church, who maybe go even to England, the the culture shock that they experience uh, can be somewhat similar, particularly from a Christian point of view. Northern Ireland is still quite Christian. But when you go to places in England or Scotland, uh, you suddenly discover that you live in a very different world. And it's this sort of uh, culture shock, particularly when there are religious connotations, that we're going to be thinking about this morning. And this is why we're going to use a case study of a man called Daniel. Now, Daniel had been brought up in a very Bible based society in Jerusalem. Uh, He was trained uh, to be part of the the next government. He was a young man who was being educated. Perhaps the prophet Jeremiah was his own personal tutor. So we're going back to about 2,500 or 600 years ago, and Daniel was forcibly moved from his home culture in Jerusalem to Babylon. It wasn't that he chose to go there to study. He was taken there. Uh, by the King Nebuchadnezzar who had come to Jerusalem and had taken certain exiles, the first of three waves of exiles. Now, the part of the Bible that we're looking at is in the book of Daniel, uh, the book that Daniel himself wrote uh, towards the end of his life. So, we're going to read together just how this book begins In Daniel chapter 1. If you're looking at one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 737. But if you just want to listen, then let me read just how this book opens. So, in the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's the king that Daniel uh, lived under in Jerusalem, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skilful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding and learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. So what we're seeing is Daniel may move from one culture in Israel to a very different culture in Babylon. Yes, there were all the usual cultural things, the food, uh, the weather, and so on, as we'll see. But in particular, there are two things I just want to draw your attention to. When Daniel was being brought up in Jerusalem, the established belief was belief in the God of the Bible, that there's one God and he has revealed himself in the Bible. But in Babylon, well, Babylon was full of idols. Now, perhaps if you're from somewhere like India, you'll be familiar with this, or in other Buddhist culture. You maybe go to the temple, and there are lots of different idols, not one single unique God, but lots of different idols. And another big change in those cultures is that when Daniel was in Jerusalem, he was told that you should believe in what is true, not what appeals to you, not just because something is nice or makes you feel comfortable, but the most important question is, is it true? So if someone said there is only one God, the question we should ask is, is it true? And that's the mindset that Daniel was brought up in. Whereas when he arrived in Babylon, the worldview there was, you can believe in whatever you want. There were lots of idols, lots of gods, mixtures of religions, very multicultural, multi-ethnic society, and you could believe whatever you want. And that, at first sight, seems much more tolerant, uh, that you can believe whatever you want. But of course, when Daniel arrived, with his worldview, that you analyze everything and say, is it true? That, when those two different worldviews, firstly, believe in what is true versus believe whatever you want... Daniel discovered that the believe in whatever you want mindset was tolerant of everything except people who believe that there is only one true way of thinking. And as long as you didn't put forward what you believed as uniquely true, you were tolerated. But once you started to say, you must ask the question, is it true? Then that society became less tolerant. So Daniel had to experience life in that. I just want to make the point before we move on that the story that we're thinking about actually happened. If you've ever been in Berlin and gone to the Pergamon Museum, you'll see there what's called the Ishtar Gate, the gate that Daniel would have entered Babylon through. Now, Babylon was destroyed, and even the King Nebuchadnezzar, nobody ever knew about him for over a thousand years, they've been forgotten. And in fact, many liberal scholars thought, oh, the book of Daniel in the Bible, this has all been made up. We have no evidence of it, no archaeological evidence. And then in the 1800s, uh, Babylon was discovered. And German uh, archaeologists took this very impressive procession way and gate and uh, took it brick by brick back to Berlin and reconstructed it. And you can, go, you can walk along the same procession way that Daniel walked, see the same bricks. And if you go to the British Museum, they have some of the bricks from Babylon. And what they discovered, to their amazement, was that every brick was stamped with the name and titles of Nebuchadnezzar. There have been no other evidence of Nebuchadnezzar. But the archaeologists in the last 200 years have discovered that every d- detail that the Bible gives is true. I just mention that because it's part of our culture nowadays to deny the historicity and the accuracy of the Bible. So, what are we told then about Daniel's life in Babylon? Well, as we read, Daniel was given a university education. He studied, he was made to study for three years. All his fees were paid. Even his food and accommodation was provided uh, free, it wasn't the food of his choice, but it was still provided. He had to learn the language of the Babylonians. And uh, some of you will have had that same experience too when you come to Northern Ireland. And he had to study all the Babylonian learning, particularly literature, Babylonian literature. But Babylonian science was famous. It was quite advanced in some ways, their whole uh, measuring of time, their understanding of the, uh, the universe... Uh, the way the planets moved, and so on. So, Daniel had to learn all the culture, the the state of the art in Babylonian science and learning, Babylonian law, and the way that they governed their empire. So, that was hard work. He had to do it, but he had an aptitude for learning, and he and his friends uh, relished the opportunity. I just mention that because sometimes there's a temptation when we feel isolated in our culture to withdraw, to develop a siege mentality, to think the world is against us, and not to have anything to do uh, with the culture and not to respect it. But Daniel and his friends studied what they were taught in Babylon. They they did really well, as we'll see. But think of the cultural pressures on Daniel. First of all, we're told about the food that uh, they were supplied with. Now the food was uh, really good quality food from the king's own table and the wine was from the the king's own table. So they couldn't complain about the quality of it, but what Daniel was very uneasy about was the religious significance of this food, that it, it perhaps had been offered to idols and it maybe contained pork, which Daniel had never ever eaten and would never eat. Certain types of meat he would not eat. We also told later in the book that Daniel and his friends had to wear Babylonian clothes, trousers, and turbans. Now, that may not seem strange to us, but Daniel had never worn trousers in his life. And when he went to Babylon, he and his friends had to dress like Babylonians. At first, he must have felt like a fish out of water. He must have felt, this is wrong. This is not my culture. He looked like a Babylonian, even if he didn't feel like one. But he did that. He accepted it. They were also given Babylonian names. King of Babylon wanted these people from other countries to have a Babylonian identity. So Daniel, for example, The E-L at the end of Daniel is the Hebrew name for God. That was the God that he worshipped, the one true God. But his name was changed to Belteshazzar, and the bell was the name of the king's favorite God. It would be a bit like a, a Christian going to perhaps India and having their name changed to Buddha someone, Buddha Smith. Okay, how would you feel as a Christian having to respond to a name like that. Daniel had to respond. He had to learn to respond to the name of this false idol called Bel. Also, the type of literature and knowledge that he had to learn was completely new to him. Some of it was good. Some of it was completely wrong. He didn't agree with a lot of it, but he still had to learn it. He had to understand and know the culture that he was in. Now Daniel adapted to nearly all these cultural aspects. He didn't go out and protest. He didn't start campaigns to be allowed to wear his traditional clothes. He didn't refuse to study Babylonian literature and their false philosophies. He learned it all. Uh, the one thing that he was uh, unhappy with and tried to find an alternative to was the food. And so he came to an arrangement with the person who looked after him that he would live in vegetables. Now, some of you might relish that. Personally, uh, I would last about a week on that. But Daniel was prepared to do that. He did it gently and quietly and respectfully, but he did not want to sully his conscience by eating and drinking things that he felt would make him unclean. Now, in this culture, you might think Daniel and his friends, were under intense pressure. They were not free. They were not able to develop, but quite the opposite was actually the case. So, let me just highlight some of the things that Daniel achieved in this alien culture. God gave Daniel great understanding in his studies. He and his Jewish friends came top of their class. They just excelled Uh, beyond everybody else. And they understood even Babylonian culture and Babylonian religion and science better than their teachers, their own teachers did. Daniel eventually in his career rose to become the top civil servant in Babylon. He did not withdraw from society. He did not wage a war against Babylonian culture. He accepted this was where God had placed him, And so, he made a success of everything that he turned his hand to. Later, when the Babylonians were defeated and the Persians moved in, Daniel was called out of retirement and became the top civil servant in the Persian Empire. Now, that tells me something quite significant. Daniel's reputation was not simply to be pro babylon he was not nationalistic in the sense that he was pro-Babylon, but when Persian, the Persian Empire came he was called to, he was trusted and had the reputation for being someone that would work for whatever government was in place. So in that sense he was not nationalistic, he was not party political or sectarian in his approach. He just worked for whatever government was in place. And in doing this, he was obeying very specifically the words of Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah had written to people like Daniel and the other exiles, and this is what he said, "'But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare.'" There was much in Babylonian culture that Daniel did not agree with, but he respected it. He worked for the good of the government of Babylon, and he fitted in with that culture. But there were some things that Daniel did not accept. I just want to pick out three things. First of all, he did not defile himself with things in Babylon which would have made him personally unclean in God's sight. There were some strange foods that he did eat but there were some foods when it came to his relationship with God that he did not eat. He didn't want to make himself unclean on the inside. He wanted to have a clean conscience in everything that he did. So he did not allow the culture that he lived in to interfere with his conscience before God. Secondly, he did not become corrupt to gain promotion. There are some countries, I won't mention them, but there are some countries in our world where everything in the establishment is corrupt. The politicians are corrupt, the judges, the police are corrupt. If you want to get on, you have to bribe people. That sort of culture, it may not have been so extreme in Babylon, but Daniel refused to pay bribes. He refused to become corrupt, to gain promotion, and when he was in power, his power did not corrupt him. He was known for his integrity. He was known for not being corrupt. When he was managing something, part of the organization of the empire, he put in place procedures which made it difficult for other people to be corrupt, and corruption did not flourish. And Daniel had real integrity. And, he and all, thirdly, he and his friends did not worship the idols or the gods of society. Babylon worshipped things like money. The king built a huge idol made out of pure gold. He thought, this will unite people. Everybody worships money. But Daniel's friends refused to bow down to that. i just mention one or two points uh, just about this, that Daniel certainly, he prayed. He continued praying. He prayed three times a day, but he did it in his home, in his own room, his private room. He opened the windows towards Jerusalem, but he didn't pray on the street corners. He didn't arranged uh, public meetings. Uh, he, he maintained his relationship with God, but he prayed in his own home. And Daniel and his friends, really they only faced persecution whenever society tried to force its worship, the worship of their idols, upon believers in God. Daniel was perfectly able to practice his faith in Babylon until Babylon stepped over a line and said, Uh, you must worship our gods and try to enforce acceptance of unbiblical uh, idols upon uh, people like Daniel. Later, uh, the Persian Empire tried for a short time to stop Daniel praying. And again, they crossed the boundary where uh, interfering with personal belief and exercise of personal faith. So, how did Daniel survive as a follower of God? And not just survive, but flourish. Uh, First of all, he worked hard for the king and did his job well. In a way, to use New Testament terms, he worked as though he was serving God, as though God was his boss. So, he was not shoddy in what he did. He, uh, He tried to be as accurate as possible. He avoided all corruption, and he always showed complete integrity. And he was free to do that. And he was generally free to practice his biblical faith. Society gave him that privilege uh, in most cases. And he exercised that, but in a way that showed respect to others. He did not try to impose his beliefs on others when he was responsible for a department. He didn't uh, get his department together and say, we are going to begin with prayer every morning. He didn't preach at them but he lived, uh, by, practiced his own biblical faith and as an example. But Daniel did have a unique un- biblical understanding of world affairs. This was really important in his uh, role in administering the Babylonian empire, uh, a, a, a multinational empire. Daniel got a lot of his understanding of world affairs from the Bible. Why do foreign countries do what they do? Daniel understood the different cultures uh, making up the Babylonian Empire. He understood their religions, he understood their politics. It's very good to understand politics, world politics. The discussions on Brexit would maybe be less heated if we understood more of European culture and the history of it, and uh, if you want to make a useful contribution to society, it's important to have a biblical understanding of world affairs. And many of the prophets that Daniel knew or read give an interesting perspective on world affairs, on what motivated the different nations. And so Daniel, from his study of the Scriptures, from his study of Babylonian culture, he came to understand politics and world affairs. Now, as well as understanding history and understanding the past, Daniel also had a good understanding of the future, and we read that he had a special gift for interpreting dreams about the future. The second part of Daniel's book is all about the future, and God helps people to understand the future. If you understand the Bible, you will understand much of what drives the future. It's why it's important to study prophecy in the Bible. Not so that you can predict when the world is going to end, but so that you can be an effective force in our society, preparing our society for the future. Daniel was uh, committed to consistent personal prayer. Sometimes Christians feel that prayer prayer meetings and things like that are just for older people who have nothing uh, so active to do. But actually, Daniel, as a young man, committed himself to consistent personal prayer. And even when it became temporarily against the law, that was the one time he went against the law, the only time that we know of. He nurtured a small group of friends who had the same spiritual outlook. Now, I'm mentioning these things, particularly if you're maybe Uh, someone who's going to go to university, a Christian who's going to go uh, to university where there's going to be a different religious climate, a different Christian climate, because these are excellent qualities to copy uh, and to treat Daniel as a role model. But the key message I want to leave with you is that the empires of Babylon and Persia needed people like Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar appointed Daniel to be in charge of his civil service. Darius appointed Daniel to be in charge of the Persian uh, uh, civil service in, in Babylon there because Daniel was the most useful. It wasn't a miracle that he ended up in that position, but people like Daniel, people with integrity, even in a corrupt society, are extremely valuable. No king... Uh, or president, wants a corrupt society. They may have used corruption to get there, but if you're going to run a country well, you do not want corruption, and you need people to serve you who are not corrupt. And Daniel was precisely the sort of person, even though he had a different face from uh, the people of Babylon, the king of Babylon and the king of Persia needed people like Daniel and appointed him to to govern, to have a very significant responsibility in that culture. That's really important because Daniel did not go around uh, ashamed to show his face. He did not think of himself as someone strange and isolated. He was respected in society precisely because of the way he exercised his faith. And that's an important lesson for those who want to live like Daniel today in a changing culture. Let me just mention a little bit about how our society here, particularly in Northern Ireland, has changed in recent times. I mentioned before that for the last 150 years, Christians, particularly in Northern Ireland, but in the West in general, have been very privileged. We've had a special uh, relationship with society where we have generally been respected. But that has changed totally. But the point I want to make is that we should not think that the, the environment that we have been brought up in is the norm. It's not what Christians should expect. The early Christian church would have given an arm and a leg to live in the society, even that we are moving into. So there's a danger that we mistake the privileged culture that we have lived in, the Christian culture, as a right and as an expectation. Society today has moved so that it has very different morals from Christianity. Christian morals are sometimes now seen as evil, as condemnatory, as divisive, and so on, whereas the morals of society now would seem to be much more inclusive and certainly claim to be more inclusive. They don't condemn people. They they respect equality. Now, we might think that they're wrong, but society thinks that they have morals, and we need to be careful not to condemn their moral outlook. We can present our alternative, but we need to be careful not to condemn the very basis of their society. We need to understand why it is that they sometimes regard Christians as wrong. Also, society has a very different view of what it means to be human, the value of human life, which we have assumed, always assumed uh, and believed from Scripture, begins at conception. Society has a totally different view of when a person becomes human, of how valuable a human's life is, a different view of gender from the Bible. And we need to understand society's views, not simply to say these are rebellious people who should be Christians, we're now growing up in a culture that has a totally different foundation for what we believe. We understand from Scripture that it's, it's wrong, but we need to be careful in how we interact and live in a society like that. Also, society teaches and believes an even evolutionary worldview. So it is becoming compulsory that schools teach evolution. We need to know that. We need to understand what they mean by evolution. We need to understand... Uh, their case. Uh, When we have opportunity, we can, of course, uh, analyze that view and show its shortcomings from a scientific point of view. But it's important to understand evolution because it has also driven so much of economic policy, war policy, social policy. So we have social Darwinism. Uh, The First World War really began in a climate post-Darwin where leaders believed that the the strength was good and that the strongest societies would come up on top, and racism was really developed as a result of Darwinian teaching. So we need to understand evolutionary way of thinking, the evolutionary worldview, even if we completely disagree with it. And just to point out that opposition to Christianity, even in our culture, sometimes it looks as though they're very anti-Christian, but it's often because of ignorance rather than opposing it from a position of knowledge. People often reject the Bible and have never even read it. Now, if someone has studied it carefully and they reject it, well, that's different. But just because someone says, oh, I don't believe the Bible, doesn't mean that they're very anti-Christian from a fundamental point of view. And it's sometimes a good opportunity to, to ask them, well, how much of it have you read? And to invite them to read it and then to explain to you from the Bible itself, why they disagree with that. So living in society like that, um, first of all, we need to analyze our society. But just to finish with a few points about living as a Christian in today's society. First of all, don't panic. It's not a sign of the end of the world. Sadly, this is sometimes the reaction of people who have lived in a very Christian culture and they see society moving away from that, and they say, oh, this is the worst time we have ever had in human history. We've had much worse times. Christians have survived in much worse times. But let's follow Daniel's example. First of all, do not become defiled. Keep personally clean on the inside. We need to guard against pornography. We need to guard against things like drink and drugs, which encourage people to... uh, to become more immoral. We need to keep morally pure. These things that are fundamental, we are free to do. We are completely free not to be in immoral relationships, completely free not to take drugs or alcohol if you choose to do that. We're completely free to live a clean life, and society does not force us. It might encourage us, it might bombard us with propaganda, but we are free to live clean, undefiled lives. We need to learn what society believes, even if we disagree with it. We should not blaspheme the idols, if you like, and beliefs of society. This was something that, a lesson that the Christians learned and practiced in Ephesus, where there was a goddess, a so-called goddess, Diana of the Ephesians. And when Christians were criticized, the town uh, governor was able to say, these people have not blasphemed our goddess." They don't believe in her, but they have not gone round criticizing and making fun of our religion. So we need to be careful that we do not blaspheme the the values even that this world uh, upholds. Even when it comes to gender, issues like that, we should not mock, we should not uh, make fun of and uh, blaspheme in that sense. Uh, things, uh, idols, and role models that society would hold up. Yes, we live an alternative. We present an alternative. But we should seek, as Daniel did, to influence society through consistent prayer. That's what Paul tells us to do in First Timothy. We should be able to, uh, we should be ready to explain our biblical views when we are asked. This is what Peter says in the New Testament, be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you, but do it with gentleness and respect. We should have integrity and avoid any hint of corruption. But if you're working for your employer, you should always seek the good of your employer or organization, as Jeremiah told the exiles to do. Serve your boss as though you were working for God. Some people become anti-established in the work, anti-management They're always working against management. They see their role as to make life as comfortable for themselves as possible. But as a Christian, we should seek the good of the organization that is paying us our salary. And in the family, we should be role models as fathers and mothers and young people. As society and morality uh, degenerates, the role of a Christian family becomes something really precious. It becomes a real witness in society. Christian family isn't always perfect, but if we seek to live uh, trying to please God in our family, that can have real impact on our society. And the truth of the matter is that society needs people like that. Society may not like Christians, but it needs Christians who live right in a pagan society. And I just want to end with a psalm, part of a psalm that Jim brought to us last Sunday evening. He's talking about righteous people who live according to the Bible. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the psalmist says. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. That's like Daniel. And then the alternative is not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. I mention that because trends in society come and go. Uh, one generation will uphold one ideology very forcefully and enthusiastically. But if we hang in there and we're like a tree that doesn't move away from its roots. Those trends will come and go. Something else trendy will come, but they're all like chaff, and we need just to be rooted in the Word of the Lord to uphold the truth quietly but, and politely and gently and with respect, but not to move from our roots because society needs roots. Our agriculture needs trees to withstand the wind, to stop the soil being blown away. Our society needs people who are rooted, who have anchors, not who are aggressive against society, but who are pillars in society at all levels of society. So I trust as we, uh, as we have considered the, this example of Daniel in a very different culture, that those of us who are Christians uh, living in what seems to be a very different culture will be pillars in society Examples to society and bring benefit to it. Let's just close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that what we sometimes find as a shock is no shock in your word. We thank you that you have given us so much to prepare us not only to resist evil in society but to bring good to society, to bring benefit to it, to be lights in a dark place. We pray that those of us who are believers would be like that, to be like Daniel. And those of us who aren't believers here this morning, we pray that we would realize that there is one true God, that there is truth, and that the best security in this world comes from knowing God and having eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.